0: Hello, and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 154. This interview is with my friend Andrew Grill, IBM Global Managing Partner for Social Consulting. A repeat guest on the show and a keynote speaker worldwide renowned, Andrew and I discuss digital literacy of leaders and executives, the use of social media for customer service, the best new technologies out there, and some tips on how to stay up to date in this fast-paced world, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T.com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Andrew Grill, you back all. on the show. Two, have you. I think it's been three years since we last spoke. Well, we have to innovate. Well, two things. First of all, you got a new job. Yep. You've got to tell us about that. And second of all, mm. this is a video cast. My very first one. Is it your first one? It is. Wow. So actually, for the people who are used to my show, hopefully we're not going to be showing them things in a visual capacity too much. <laughs> Right, so Andrew, tell us where you are now.
1: What, you, what you're doing these days? So the last eighteen months, I've been with IBM. Uh, as you know, I've been in startups for twelve years. When we, we last met, we were in the um, Adam Street Club, I think, mm-hmm. after some conference. Change of the club. And I was uh, then I was CEO of cred So uh, fast forward to two thousand fifteen, I'm now a global managing partner for what we call IBM Social Consulting, which is a very exciting new role. What does, that, been, what does that entail? It means that what we're doing is we're becoming that one-stop shop in IBM for all things social. So bringing the best of our software services, bringing the best of our consulting people, bringing them together and really being those subject matter experts on the nature of social consulting to go and talk to our clients. It's incredibly exciting. So you're not
0: really selling systems, you're more consulting and helping them figure out possibly right. IBM
1: systems but also other systems. Yeah. It's consultative selling so it's not a case of we think you should have these many software licenses. It's what is your business problem and how can we best solve that? And how can we take you along a journey that isn't just technology? A lot of our clients have embedded technology and what they're saying is we need to do a change culture program. How can you take us from where we are today to this whole new way of working? And it's 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 a step change really. And so you, you
0: actually provide that. Culture change consultancy and uh, drive down, dig down. Where, yeah, how far do, do you go into the organization? Wow,
1: it's what well, we have thousands of, of change consultants. I keep discovering them uh, throughout the organization, whose sole purpose is to do that—that that warm and fuzzy, that people, that talent bit as well. Uh, but we also have people that are deeply involved with the software side. So we have, you know, IBM has so many rich assets. We c- I can always find someone that can help a client on some some part of their business. So uh, I mean, this is something I
0: love to work on as well. Mm. How how do you bring that change down into your organization? What are kinds of avenues that in order, to make that successful as you try to yeah. drive it down? Really
1: good example, I can talk about Tesco, um, the world's second largest retailer, the UK's largest retailer. Uh, Alison, who is their CHRO, said, how do you make a big company feel smaller? And so we helped them along their journey with the collaborations tool, but it wasn't about the technology. They already had the technology in place. They wanted to be able to get their colleagues, the people on the shop floor, talking to each other. And so it was a case of, you know, allowing them to actually have their mobiles out on the shop floor Mm -hmm. when they were wanting to communicate. Things like helping to install Wi-Fi in the store so they Mm -hmm. could connect. And once that was all there, then encouraging them to talk to each other. So a good example, I'm in store 5704, I've just had too many strawberries delivered. So rather than having to ring up head office and wait in a queue, I literally post an update on the internal social network saying, I've got too many strawberries, who wants them? So in another store in another store so they're using an internal social network just as you and I would use Twitter to say hey I've got tickets tonight for the opera I can't go Andrew are you interested they're using it in the business context but to get there, it was a number of steps from how do you encourage people to talk to each other on a, on a mobile phone network, mm-hmm. then when they see the benefit of that, how do you then get senior management to keep wanting to invest in this as well. So that for me, when you see a massive culture change when they were doing it one way and they do it another way and they can see instant benefits is really rewarding. Mm. Well, what are some of the kinds of
0: challenges along the way? I mean, for example, oh God, they're constantly on their mobile. Yeah, yeah. or. Or how do we evaluate success of this thing? Or is there a metric that we should be looking at? Because you don't have like a reference or a benchmark. Say, well, you know, we should be at sixty-two point three percent.
1: Yes, I think it's. I think what's really interesting is that internal social is a lot easier to measure the ROI than external. I get asked all the time, "What's the ROI of social?" Mm -hmm. To which I often say, "For external social, it's pretty hard." For internal social, you know what the cost of a lost day of an employee is. You know what the cost of is having to ring up and tell someone the strawberries there are too many delivered. So you can actually quantify that. So the challenge for organisations like us is to give enough uh, metrics to senior management. So they can say, we've done this for three months, we've got them all tweeting internally, how has it changed what's going on? And I think also when you can actually have senior management see first hand the impact, because remember when i'm posting something on an internal corporate network everyone sees it great example from an organization it was in the news so i can talk about it uh... we had a gentleman who had his uber claim rejected by our uh... our expenses people and so he, he put an internal post that basically said I want a petition to bring back Uber. I want Uber to be reimbursable. Right. Rally around Uber. I, I think he probably had no idea what was going to happen next but we actually have a thing called IBM Pulse in the organization where we actually aggregate what is happening on our internal social network. We get the data mm-hmm. and Diane Gearson who is our chief HR officer in Armonk saw that Uber in New York was trending <laughs> inside the organization. She went and looked at the post. Now to her credit, and this is where this works, the most senior HR professional in the whole of IBM posted directly to this person to say I've just seen your post a DM oh, it was a DM p- or public, public. Okay. posting on his thing on the, on the petition it's Diane Gerson mm-hmm. here's the HRO officer of IBM I've just seen your post I didn't know that we didn't accept Uber I'm going to look into it and I'm going to change the policy so anyone that sees that post can see that first of all there was some constructive criticism which is which is encouraged mm-hmm. the most senior HR person saw that and directly mm-hmm. took action mm-hmm. and I think what we've seen at IBM we've been doing this for five years now when you've got senior management actually able to literally feel the pulse of the organization mm-hmm. and anticipate and correct issues in real time in a public way, you don't actually have that arrow conversation anymore. Yeah, because they get it. They get it. So, uh, Andrew, you, I mean, you,
0: when you were running CRED, you were out there, obviously you were preaching and you know, exam- being an example of what you needed to do yep. as the boss. Sometimes I feel like it's sitting in an ivory tower to say that all C-suites should also be getting it and doing it themselves. What's your position on that? Yeah. And, and what do you think of some of the business cases as to how to encourage more people on the C-suite to be
1: more involved like this lady who's yeah. on? Great question. So what I don't uh, advocate is every C-suite goes on social media because for some of them it's not natural. I look at social or digital as a language. So I know that you speak French. I speak very bad French, but let's assume that IBM sent me to France for a year. I would have to very quickly learn French again, not just to understand, but to be understood. So I think what you need to do as a chief executive is not necessarily be completely proficient in the language of social and be on and tweet all the time, and I'll give you some examples in a second of people that are you need to know enough to understand that language. So why do people tweet? And when they do, why do they expect a response from a brand? So if you're a C-suite person, you may not be active on social, but you're seeing what's going on, you're mm-hmm. seeing what your staff are saying, you're seeing real time what your customers are saying, and you can go, mm. wow, that was actually some really amazing market research. Star, right. And when you use the language they understand. So I've been i would be very successful in the boardroom board in changing the language of the discussion away from social to their language. So we talk about market research, we talk about net promoter score, we talk about ROI, we talk about yield management. And they go, and this is literally... happening. service. Like, Andrew, that's the sort of stuff we're interested in. So you're telling me you can translate all this social stuff and make sense of it in the language I understand, I'm all ears. And so I think, back to your, your point, not all of them should be on social, but they should know enough and learn the language to understand the mm. power of it. One of the things
0: I've thought about a lot is maybe as a preparation for being out there publicly, mm-hmm. be active internally. Yes. Do you do you propose that a lot? If they're not like that comfortable, yeah. they're you know not maybe as extroverted
1: as others. You must have been to one of my consulting sessions. I know. That's exactly <laughs> what I do because you want them to feel comfortable. And the example I gave with the Uber and the IBM was here is a, a senior executive who was comfortable responding to something that was a bit difficult, a bit mm-hmm. of constructive feedback. And I think if they can become comfortable amongst their peers, mm-hmm. what I then do is I just give them a little push and go, okay, and you're ready. You're ready to go external now. Different language, different mm-hmm. way of doing it, but you're ready to do that. And the ones that have done that, um, you know, when I joined IBM, about the fourth week in, I was thrust in front of 700 IBMers at Excel to talk about what I did. And I gave the story I just told you that you need to understand the language, you need to, to practice this, this social stuff. And I had a number of people come up to me often and say, You know what, I needed someone like you to say what you said in your own personal journey of how one tweet got your job at IBM. I'm going to try this now. And the most humbling thing is months later I had some of these senior VPs come up to me to say, I've done it and I'm really enjoying it. Because what you need, what executives need is a feedback loop. So they do something, it's uncomfortable, someone, be it another colleague or a customer comes back and says, oh that's great you're on social, I'm glad that you've got a, a voice and they go, oh wow, well, I enjoyed that, I'm gonna do it again. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, if you're talking about the social
0: external, it's always about the crisis, or what if, you know, something, I mean, a customer starts saying bad, or I say something wrong, yeah. and so you get to practice that internally. As long as you have the culture, you give permission to yes. everybody to say constructive criticism, yeah. Yeah. and then don't, you know, frown on that, and, and uh, you know, impeach, or impal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. people yeah. for saying things are negative. Because if you can learn how to treat the negative, then not only will you learn how to do that externally, yeah. you're going to foster a better, more you know, vibrant
1: internal yeah. culture. People feel comfortable to be constructively critical, and I think in an organization there is a, a right and a wrong way to do that. I don't see on a network people complaining using bad language. The, the guy with the Uber example, it was constructive, it was factual, saying, I just don't think it's fair. And if you read it, it'd be like, I think he's got a point. So I think when you have other people and your peers, you're not going to rant and rame. I mean, that may happen in some organisations, but I think it, it, just on social media, mm. if someone is tweeting me with some bad language, my community is going to go, C- can you stop doing that? Right. That's, that's, not, yeah. that's not necessary. So, you were mentioning this before, some examples. Mm. Who, do you, who would you say are some good examples to look
0: at in terms of how they figured it out, their bio, yeah. the way, their language, whatever?
1: My favourite example is Ronan Dunn from O2. Yeah, sure. So, I thought you, you probably expected me to say that. Because, one, he totally gets social. He's on there, he's active, he's warts and all. I mean, he's not doing all the customer service. He even supports Ireland openly. Really? <laughs> yeah, he does. No, well, I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but because, yeah. in
0: the end of the day, that shows that he's putting his you know, it's him. It's his personal domain. Even career. if he has Britain yes. as his domain, yes. he's prepared, to, or UK, yeah, he's prepared yeah. to talk
1: about Ireland and say, yeah, you know, yeah. at, the, at the risk of offending customers. But I think he's got firsthand that by him being the voice, and it really is him doing the tweeting, not some team, he gets that direct customer feedback. He's also learned the language. Now, I think he's a new breed of executive. Right. The, the, the thing is, in 10 years' time, actually in five years' time, we won't be having this discussion because the next wave, yeah. these millennials coming through, won't be a case of. Are we on Twitter? Should we be on Twitter? Well, I've been there for six years. I mean, mm. I'm going to instill all those um, processes I've been using in my personal life and my professional life into mm. the organisation.
0: Right, so just two things. First, uh, O2 Challenger. Uh, more of a challenger. Mm -hmm. Do you think that contributes to the desirability and the you know agility and the desire to you know be out
1: there and make a difference? Yeah but I mean you could say this thing about three and I don't see three CEO being as active as Ronan is so uh, I think it's down to the personality and I've met Ronan I think it's it's him being very comfortable but also very smartly taking the lead so all of his staff are going to say look what the chief's doing we should do that as well. And I mm. think when I advise clients, the, the hardest thing to do is to get those top leaders engaged in doing it because everyone else is going to say, oh, I should do that too because the boss is doing it. All right. So talking about Twitter, mm. all right, you know, in the end of the day, there's LinkedIn
0: uh, no, and yeah. there's Twitter mm-hmm. for business. The rest, there are other things you can sure. use, but as a in a, in a person, uh, as a personal s- executive, Twitter mm. has, has a has a great second space to yes. be in, one or the other, or both.
1: Yeah.
0: But Costello's out. Is Twitter around forever? And, you know, do you, because you build up a big Twitter following and you do all that work and you learn all the things. And, and of course, that learning hopefully will be useful for Twitter too or whatever else comes out afterwards. Does that, personally, do you think that's
1: sort of a risk, and and where do you go with that? I think, take it back a bit, I think the risk for all social networks that started five or six years ago is they're beholden to the advertising model. So what pays the bills at the moment is an ad company on behalf of a client buying an ad unit, be it a promoted tweet, be it a suggested tweet, be it a Facebook post or whatever, and we all talked about Facebook zero, where to get noticed now on Facebook, you have to pay to play. Mm -hmm. How do you change the monetization model where you're not so reliant on the old way of advertising? Because I say this a lot of conferences and I get beaten up for it. I don't read ads anymore. I get my marketing recommendation from you, from my network, from people I trust. And if we assume that if I'm five years ahead of the curve and we're both five years ahead, in five years' time you won't have as heavy reliance on above-the-line advertising, Mm -hmm. how do those social networks that are beholden to that survive? I think the richness will be in the data. So Facebook has 10 plus years of data, Twitter Mm -hmm. has nine, eight years of data. How do you sensitively use that in a marketing way, Mm -hmm. in a way that makes me feel comfortable? I mean, I've had, in the last seven, eight years, 33,000 tweets. I think there are probably two brands that have ever done anything with that data to delight me, Mm -hmm. yet I'm telling the world what I like, where I am, what Mm -hmm. I do. I think the data... Will be the thing that people start monetizing when we have ad fatigue. So, to your point, I think Twitter, Facebook will be around in different incarnations. Someone will fund them differently, but I think they need to decouple themselves from the ultra reliance on traditional advertising. And hopefully. So, do you think they need to hire a
0: big data officer? I would assume I mean, you have you're one, a really, CEO I mean, who yeah. is more
1: data-oriented. Um, that's up to Henlick and Struggles, uh, mm-hmm. uh, whoever's uh, actually. Uh, but I think any organization, and I, again, I, I love, I mentor a number of millennials. Mm-hmm. You, you know someone as well. Those coming through that have a real appreciation for data and the science of data, not that they're data scientists, but just understand the power of it, mm-hmm. will actually drive the company forward because you've been in advertising a lot longer than I have. Eventually, consumers go, you know what? I'm being advertised to. Right. I don't You're like that. A bunch of- yeah. So how do we actually do it in a different way? But going back to my point, how do you delight me with I don't see it as an ad, I see it as a bit of information that's valuable, yeah. but I don't want to see every single ad, I want to see the ones I'm interested in. But as a marketer, mm-hmm. who wants to market to Andrew's segment of five versus segment of five million? Mm-hmm. Who's gonna get your bonus for fucking five right. people?
0: It's a challenge. Advertising practitioners in a in a survey that comes out every year. Uh, are trusted slightly more than second-hand car used, uh, Gosh, used still. second-hand car used dealers. Uh, anyway, quite crazy. So, uh, let's say we're talking about social media, mm-hmm. and uh, under the belief that social media is a valid
1: channel for customer service, mm-hmm. how do you qualify that statement? So I'll answer it in a slightly different way and I came up with this uh, analogy that I think works well. So you and I are old enough to know what a switchboard is. My daughter, when we were in Canberra, actually played with one from the museum where you actually take the plug out. And I, t- I took a friend of mine uh, a while ago to the science museum and-, and showed her an old switchboard and she said, I've never seen one of those before. So there is a section of the, the generation that have never seen this. But I think a lot of companies, and especially around customer service, are becoming social switchboard. So, the message comes in from whatever social channel, there is one team looking at that. Mm -hmm. And so, one message is about a lost package, one message is about opening times, one message is about how do I get a job with you. By default. Yeah, and so this social switchboard has to handle everything, and they can't. Mm
2: -hmm. My view
1: is that the best practice customer service use of Twitter and and those sort of things is actually to have something smart at the front end like a Watson, an IBM Watson to actually analyze this data. Aha! That piece of content actually looks like a request for a job application. So rather than someone in the social switchboard saying, who who do I give this to? It actually gets routed through to HR HR with some workflow tools says oh we've got an inquiry from someone it's meant to dial, he's worked for all these other companies before he's someone we really need to get to and conversely with someone in the product area or you know opening times. So rather than having one team that is literally being that switchboard for all the things Mm. coming in, you put some smart analysis on the front end, and then it gets triaged to the right area, and then the person best suited to deal with that can deal with it, and I call that federating the the, the social Mm. enterprise. So I think at the moment, um, again, you look at a brand's Twitter feed, and it's, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry about that. Mm -hmm. There's got
0: to be a bit of way. Do you have any examples of companies, Watson or not, Mm -hmm. that are, are managing
1: that process? It it comes back to, I think, where you actually have the social process embedded in your existing workflow. So rather than, again, having this separate team that's just doing all the social stuff, that can't see all the things that someone on the phones and on email can do, have that built in and maybe have multi-skilled agents and a lot of the telcos are moving towards that model where someone can actually uh, pick up the phone send a tweet, uh, send a message, all those sort of things with all the things at their fingertips, I think some of the airlines are doing very well, KLM is a really great example of how they do customer care, what I love about KLM is actually on their Facebook and Twitter page they've done some bit of tech where it says this is the wait time for your tweet it's going to be 37 minutes between you tweeting and us getting back to right you. Right now, at this time. Right now, and it's, it's dynamic every five minutes. That then says, oh, 37 minutes, it's not that urgent, I'll go and do something else. Rather right. than hanging on the phone for yeah. 47 Your call is important for us. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think, where, where airlines and telcos are doing it well. But again, we've got to move away from just having this separate little team that does customer care. Um because you can also start predicting things. And again, back to Watson, we can do personality insights. So when the tweet comes in from that Andrew Grill, we might be able to tell whether this is going to be a good call or a bad call because I've complained five mm-hmm. times before. Right. I'm someone that is quite assertive. And so you might actually put a different agent on that. Got someone a cloud score, 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 a print score, thing. And yeah, but maybe the agent dealing with it is actually someone who is a little more skilled with someone who's going to be a bit smarter on the product side, is a fairly aggressive customer maybe. So when I get through... I actually get someone that's going to feel my vibe and go, Mm -hmm. I'd I'd feel that way too, Andrew.
0: IBM, I've followed a little bit from the outside what you guys are doing Mm -hmm. because you have a lot of your consultants uh, have their own personal presence. You you put their profiles up, their LinkedIn, Twitter Mm -hmm. feed, which is, for a lot of companies, you know, the far side of the moon. Yeah, yeah. In your area, it's more, as a consultancy area, it's more, I'd say, understandable because you're all selling information, you're in intelligence, and so putting yourselves out there and publishing makes a lot of sense. So Mm -hmm. IBM has a, it's not like an FMCG kind of company. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're presumably being in the news for a lot of things as well. yeah and are you putting in place this program Watson within you or how does that sit or is everyone sort of manage
1: everyone is social how does it work within? Well, Back to the consulting side so our consulting part of the business what we're selling is actually the people because when I put my name forward or one of my team's name it forward to a client, the first thing to do is Google or LinkedIn and check the person's sure. background. Of so if I'm putting forward a social business consultant to, a, let's say, a bank, Minter Dial, this is the person that we'd like to put forward. They're going to say, what does Minter know about this? He? What is he? So He's in he? a what way, it's so important to have that personal brand. Mm-hmm. And I'm just about to recruit two new people. And one of them, who has a very high external eminence, said to me, when I join, can I keep blogging? And I went, of course you can, we, we absolutely want you to. Part of the reason we're hiring you is because of your external eminence. And in fact, yesterday I got the go-ahead to go and hire a bunch right. of new people. And especially in the social place, we want to get the best of breed yeah. from outside into our organisation. And the, well, way I'll I'll find, but the way I'll find them is they will be self-evident because they will right. have that massive profile. They'll be practising what they preach. So, But across the company there are massive programs. We have what we call social business managers. We have 30-day IBM digital challenges. You could not um, miss the, the effort we put behind allowing people to get more social and encouraging them to do that. Now, I'm lucky someone like me has come into the organisation kind of pre-set. I know what I'm doing. Sure. Last year I spoke to nearly 7,000 IBMers internally uh-huh. about eminence and why you should do this. And I think, hopefully, some of them have said, I'm going to go and do that. And so, when, it, when let's say a tweet comes out and mm-hmm. it refers to IBM, yep. how is that managed internally? Is, there, is Watson handling that and then parsing we it out We do a number of things. So, we have social media managers, and I know this because I'm in contact with some of the guys that actually look at what's being said, uh, who they're saying it to, to get a feel for, you know what's the community saying about it. Because right now, we're yes. in the middle of Wimbledon. It's... Uh, Where yeah, IBM is highly uh, involved. So, we're going to have a lot of messaging about our involvement at Wimbledon. And so, we'll be watching that to see what people think. and. and and all those sort of things as well. So, yeah, we have a very strong, excuse me, program to actually encourage and support all of our IBMers. We'd love everyone at IBM to be on on social. We have a very high, I think we're the largest organization on LinkedIn. We have the most people on LinkedIn of any organization. Do you
0: also measure not just the number of people Mm. on, but their engagement? Uh, How do you evaluate that? Do you reward people for
1: being more active uh, So how part active? of our what we call personal business commitments every year, there's a component of that around eminence. And when I joined, it was I was told that, you know, you will probably be okay with your eminence because you, you already got it, but I, I want to help others do that. So there's a component of your bonus around how eminent you are because your value to an organisation isn't just what you know, it's what you share and so we've got highly imminent IBMers and up and coming IBMers that are able to share the IBM story authentically I mean I generally don't retweet our press releases not that there's anything wrong with them but, but I want they probably could be improved Andrew I can see that I'm but I, but I want to I want to put my own view on that right. so I want my audience to understand from my point of view what that means and I think it's more authentic coming from an IBMer that's actually looked at the press release and oh I can I can augment that so we absolutely encourage it yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. and and. Uh, Do you measure the eminence? We do, in a number of different ways. In fact, we we do um, internally as well. So on our connections platform, I'm actually able to see my own scorecard. So I'm able to see how I'm doing compared to my group, my peers, and the organization. And I think I've got a, a score of 87 out of 100, which is okay. A bit more work at the moment, but I can see where I can work on that, so we definitely measure it, yeah. That's yeah. very cool. All right, so talking a little bit differently from
0: social media, mm-hmm. because you know the world is full of other things as well. Oh, really? And yeah, don't you think? <laughs> new tech. Uh, so what are the things that excite you in new technologies, if you look at the, I mean, besides you know, yeah. big data as a concept, yeah,
1: yeah. But the new technologies are out there, which ones excite you? I'm going to go really old school. You you sent me these questions beforehand. You said, is it it wearables? Is it an augmented reality? It's data, Uh but not data as we know it. So we've all had access to data for years. I think it's a better use of data. So you look at an FMCG company or a B2B company or a tech company, they all have masses of data. And I think telcos, when I was back in Optus in Australia years ago, they were doing churn prediction models. And that really excited me. Wow, you can actually look at people's use of their mobile account per month and see whether they're a churn risk. Wow, and this is 10, 15 years ago. So I think it's not new tech, but it's a new way of using it. Companies that actually harness how to use data in a different way. We talked before about reliance on ad models. Can you start to use data as that rich resource? And it can be raw data, it can be processed data. When you start augmenting social data with customer data, transactional data, I think that can be really, really powerful. So for me, May not be the answer you are expecting, but data for me is a new bit of tech that we're not really using in the best possible mm.
0: way. Well, all right. So I'm going to push back. I would say, <laughs> if you're in a you know data kind of organization, yes. I would. So I would kind of almost expect okay. that. With yeah. IBM, with, with, I mean, I thought. That said, how do you actually handle data? The problem is, you know. I I worked in an organization, L'Oreal, that had Mm -hmm. oodles of information about the customer, data that was there, but we never used it, or we did only for our purposes, our own self-serving purposes. What is it that's going to be able to help organizations manage the sort of cacophony of data that's out there, outside of the technology? Because in the end of the day, it's
1: about the questions you ask, but how do you organize that so it's more effective? Part of it is grabbing it. I think 10 years ago, the, the notion of grabbing every transactional piece of data that was there, where are you going to store it? These days, with fast data storage, with SSDs, you've got you know, the cloud computing, uh, you've got things like Hadoop or Cassandra that can process things really quickly. I think that's gone away, but I still think that, you know, look at an FMGG organisation, what, what data do they have? They have transactional data, they have research data, they have so much information. And I think the challenge is how do they make sense of it, and mm-hmm. how do they actually get insights out of that data? So mm-hmm. the first thing is storing it and indexing it. But then being able to do really smart queries. And I think part of it is making it so simple that a chief executive can actually look at his or her iPad and do a few swipes and actually get some intelligence. So what are our sales figures this week for the new hair care product? Mm. Now, in the background somewhere, numbers are crunching and everything else. But when he or she can go... I was concerned about the hair care range this week it looks like we're back on track don't have to worry about that Mm -hmm. that for me is using executives time wisely because he or she doesn't have to worry about that so I think the presentation at that business decision level is where it's going to have the most impact yes you can have product managers looking at things day to day but you know literally the CEO's dashboard of how's my business doing being able to drill into that and there are multiple technologies that can do that in a really easy way literally on an iPad I think is going to break down the issue and then it will allow chief execs to actually push back and go no no spend more i want to capture more data i want to have different ways of slicing it because i can do this myself on my iPad right, So. I hear you. Uh, what I'm
0: looking for, perhaps, are, is the attitude or mindset mm. that's going to allow for the data to be properly, in, you know, the queries to be made yeah. and the insights to be drawn. In the end of the day, I, I, you know, a lot of companies are going to look through th- through their filter. Yeah. And that filter, if it's, you know, if I've got 35 years of baggage, may be a little bit old fashioned. Yeah. so yeah. what, what are we going to do
1: to switch from, you know, how's my product doing? Yeah. What does the customer want? Yeah, the customer centricity I think is really important. So you can't just rely on primary market research because that's always six weeks, six, eight weeks old. Can you use other sources of info? So can you use transaction data? Can you use social data? Can you use the weather? So, you know, we did a partnership with the Weather Channel. And the weather is probably the most amazing piece of big data ever right. because you can start predicting that. So the, the whole notion that we forecast weather, the reason the BBC can say tomorrow's going to be 30 degrees right. is because they've got years of experience of looking at all these data points to forecast that. Right. So look at all the other data around you. Have. I mean, when, when they talked about the Weather Channel partnership, I thought, that's the most amazing data set. That maybe an FMCG company wouldn't think about because humidity is going to have frizzier hair, hotter weather is going to be better ice creams, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, we've even done surveys with you know coffee companies where we understand the the effect of weather on on footfall. So I think we need to break out of, as you say, what data do we have, Mm -hmm. what data does the world have? Mm -hmm. Is it weather? Is it uh, transaction? Is it currency? Is it political stability? All those sorts of things and be able to to process that to make better decisions along with my own data that is somewhat imperfect maybe. Speaking of weather, Mm -hmm.
0: when I was running um, a division in Canada, it was always, uh, should we say, one of those excuses that would come up when the sales number didn't come in. Oh yeah. well, we had, you know, we had bad weather, of course, in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and I used to get a little bit frustrated because bad weather. Well, that's just it happens. Part of it, yeah. you know, and we get it kind of every year. And if we didn't get it this day, we got it the, or the month before. And so I always did get a little bit frustrated about weather. The other day, uh, I heard that weather was uh, when when you had more bad weather, there was a spike in e-commerce. So whereas yeah. I used to think you yes. know, it's about footfall and getting yeah, into yeah. the store, like in hairdressing silence yeah. in my case. Yeah.
1: Now it's the reverse. Uh, have you heard anything like this? Yeah, I mean to stay at home, it's bad weather, I'm going to stay home and, and buy stuff online. Yeah. I think that is the other shift that, that we've seen. I mean, my wife, uh, I was in Australia five years ago and I got a phone call, uh, she was back in London and said, I've discovered Amazon and my credit card's never been the same again but she has basically said this is more convenient for me actually be able to choose something online and have it delivered and not going into a shop so and my wife is the most non-social media person you'll meet um, no disrespect honey. honey but um, she has changed her whole buying habits and so yeah weather-wise I know she probably buys more when, when the weather is different so the traditional FMCG company needs to be working with the Amazons and the logistic providers to make sure that that is seamless mm. Uh, I was reading
0: at um, b n p the bank says you know we're a bank for the changing world it's a definitely it's a changing world yeah and uh, nothing no, no more than the new tech and social media. How do you step, or how, or let's say this, how do you step with what's going
1: on? Yeah. And then how would you recommend a, an executive who's not just a social media guru yeah, yeah. stay up with what's going on? So, two things. So, I mean, yeah. my Twitter feed is the richest source of market research I could ever get because the people I follow, like you, are interested in the same things I'm interested in. So, I will generally find something of interest by flicking through my Twitter feed. Now, people say, You're on Twitter all the time. No, I'm not. I snack, and so after we finished here, I'll be walking to the train station, I'll flip through my Twitter feed, I'll see things that are interesting, that's my market research. I also look at traditional media, so I love The Economist, I love the writing in that, they challenge the thinking, and I always turn to the technology section on my iPad every week to see what they're Mm -hmm. talking about, and also things like the FT, and that, it comes to your point, these are not traditional, you know, I look at The Next Web, I look at Mashable and TechCrunch and those sort of things, but your pinstripe banking executive, they should maybe start at the technology section in the FT and The Economist to sort of see what the spin is there because again those publications have to speak to their audience, you know, so the city for the FT, but the writers that are writing about the tech are writing in a way that they'll understand, so I would suggest they start with the tech sections of their Mm -hmm. favourite publications Mm -hmm. first. Yeah, because basically all these
0: mass medias are also are getting with the program, I mean, yeah, whether it's yeah. New York Times and so on. So you, let's say, I want to go back to your snacking idea. You're just snacking, you, you see an article that's in TechCrunch. What's your mechanism? Because reading that yep. as you're walking down the street is a little bit difficult. So how, what's your little
1: process, the little yes. inside Andrew Grills mechanism? So I bookmark it. I run my own open source bookmark, a thing called Semantic Scuttle. It's on my server. So I've got Semantic Semantic Scuttle. All right, cool. Uh, it's an open source bookmark. It was built on the back of, you know, the sort of what Delicious was. It has the same Delicious APIs, mm-hmm. but it's mine. It's on my server and I own all the data. So I can actually, from my mobile, quickly bookmark something, put a couple of tags, then I'll go back to it. And you know what? Six months later, when I go, oh, what was Minda talking about? I'll actually probably put your name there, so I'll, I'll well, you tag me- them. Yeah, and I can search for it, and I go So when you when you when you bookmark, you say I'll you tag, tag it. there, yeah. and I save it, and I'll come back to it, and I know that it's there, and I can search for it as well. So I have my filing system, and it's all private; it's all you know, uh, only I can see it. Um, but it means I can go and search for things later on. I must say, this notion of tagging is an underexploited.
0: Thought. yeah when you talk about data when we talk about overload when we talk about networking yeah this concept of tagging in a digital world is is absolutely delicious oh yeah you know random access allows us to dissect our data but we were very i would say disorganized in the way we we tag we're a little bit chaotic and, yeah, and as yeah. an organization, you kind of need to have the whole organization tagging in the same way yeah. in order for everybody to have sort of meta level yeah, yeah. within the organization. Yeah, yeah. For you to know that, you know, it's Minter, you have to remember Minter, or yeah. do you want to write just the American in England, or how do you, mm-hmm. how do you associate me, how do you label me, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and all that? And the tagging, it's a methodology and so I will tag Something I'm interested in, maybe where it was, so if it's to do with Australia, I'll tag that, I'll tag the person involved. Uh, and I, I'm doing that religiously, so everything I find, I tag. Uh, and it means that when I want to find it, it's all there. And you get a structure, and you probably, I'm probably using 30 or 40 different tags now. But mm. the inside thing is important as well. When people inside our organization tag people on our internal collaborative network, mm-hmm. that then drives what's called expertise locator. So, if someone's right. looking for consultant based in London that knows about social business, yeah. I'll come up because sure. I've been tagged, or yeah. other people have tagged me. Yeah, it's brilliant. Super. Andrew. Loved it.
0: Fun. We've got some blinking lights going for fun. <laughs> anyway, um, that's, you know, the party's coming up. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Andrew, how can uh, someone follow you? What's the best
1: way? Uh, Twitter's the easiest way, at Andrew Grill, uh, or you can have a look at my blog, LondonCalling.co. That's mm-hmm. LondonCalling.co. How often do you blog? Uh, more regularly now, uh, probably once or twice a month, maybe a bit more, when something really excites me. But Twitter is probably the, the place you'll find. I'm me. a regular. Week. Uh, great time to on the show, on. thanks, to Good to see you.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colours any different way To rid me of the grey And heal me with all your imperfections That you mention in your lack of